Hey people, welcome back to series three of Not Another Sales Podcast. My name is Chris Atfield. I'm the founder and coach of Sales Psyche, a company focused on supporting and developing sales and commercial teams, mental health, well-being, and performance. This podcast aims to look at the world of sales through a different lens, providing not just the tactics, but also the mindset of what makes it successful. This series, I'm asking guests, what's one thing they suggest you try, avoid, and keep doing to be successful? whether that's as a rep, leader, or organization. So let's get started. On today's episode, I'm joined by Marcus Davidson and Julio Magni. Marcus is the Enablement Manager at Mimecast, and Julio is the Sales Enablement Director. And I'm going to be asking Marcus and Julio, what's one thing they'd encourage sales enablement and salespeople to try, to keep doing, and to throw away this year? Some of the things we cover in this is the importance of self-talk and how to manage it, why practice should be a salesperson's best friend, and how to enable and empower leaders through sales enablement, along with playing to your team's strengths, utilizing data, also questioning it at the same time. So sit back and enjoy. Julio, Marcus, welcome. How are we doing, Marcus? Do you know what? Really splendid. Thank you, Chris. How are you? Good. I'm good, thank you. And Julio, how are you? Doing well, thanks. Good. Good. Well, thank you both for, for joining me on the pod. I'm really excited um, for this. But before we kick things off, for those tuning in that maybe aren't too familiar with, with either of you, um, it'd be great to give them some context and uh, your backstory of, of who you are. So, Julio, let's go with you first. You bet. Uh, I've been uh, at a company called Mimecast for the last 13 years or so, but I've always had an, an education background. Uh, but uh, specifically at this company, I've uh, done all sorts of things from education to sales engineering, which, which was definitely a bundle of fun, highly recommend it. And then sales enablement over the last uh, four years or so. Ultimately, it's all about teaching people new things. I enjoy that a lot. Great, great. And how about yourself, Marcus? Yeah, so, um, so I've done a whole multitude of different jobs, but uh, so I'm not going to go back into the annals of time because I don't want to bore the living pants off you. But I suppose um, in terms of what's relevant, so I used to be a salesperson myself. I used to be a seller um, at IBM and I've sold hardware, software, services, consultancy, financing, you name it, I sold it. And um, I, I wasn't too bad. You know, I made, I made club a few times. Um, I decided to leave sales and um, I went into an enablement role at, at IBM, which was fantastically um, good fun. Um, I left IBM. I, um, I joined a company called Amarsis, which um, did um, uh, marketing automation as their um, sales enablement guy. Um, left there, um, did my own thing for a while. So I had a kind of few private clients um, doing uh, you know, sales training enablement for them, which was really, really good fun. And then one day, Mimecast found me. <laughs> and, and here I am as a sales enablement guy for UK and Ireland currently for, for Mimecast. Great. Great. Well, uh, looking forward to, to getting into the, the kind of topic or question with, with you both today. And I think particularly with this, what's been going on the last year or so, it's quite funny when I started this, when I started when I was doing my pod last year, I was like, oh, let's not mention COVID because I don't want to timestamp it. But it feels like you can't escape it at the moment. But anyway, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll park that there. But one of the things I, I want to get your both of your perspectives on today around the kind of theme around sales enablement that both of you have got great experience in and um Having seen on LinkedIn, you know, you've got a great amount of knowledge and, and passion for what you do. Um, I kind of want to base it around this question of if you're looking at it from this year and whether this is from a sales enablement hat on or whether it's from a sales perspective hat on and feel free to blend between the both. 
Um, what's one thing that you would encourage people to try and, and introduce? One thing that you'd keep doing and one thing that you just say, look, just throw that away. It's not relevant anymore. So um, let's start. I'll let you kick things off, Marcus. Where do you feel drawn to most on, on those three areas? I'm, I'm drawn to all of them, actually, I have to say, because I think there's so much relevancy here in, in terms of those, those three fantastic, brilliant questions there, by the way. I think the area that I feel most um, passionate about is um, uh, the bit to continue doing for me. And it's about, it's about practice. And I just don't think that sales organizations spend enough time practicing. And it's just so important. It's so vitally important. And you think about any other discipline, any, any other role. Um, and the example I always give is like pit crews in Formula One. That I've got to be honest with you, I don't know an awful lot about Formula One. But what I do know is that those pit crews practice, practice, practice. The car comes in, they whip the tires off, they put the new ones in in seconds flat, right? And that only comes from that repetition and practice. And, and um, the other example I tend to give is um, thinking about a, um, a cabin crew and how they practice evacuating a plane in an emergency. You know, they practice, 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 practice. So it becomes second nature to them. Now, sellers' jobs are important. They're important for them. They're important for the organization. And yet they don't seem to have that same kind of level of commitment when it comes to practice. And typically you talk to salespeople, it's just like, I don't have time for that. And, and oh, you know, I don't like role play because it's not real life. And you <laughs> yeah. think about Think about that cabin crew example. If you're on a plane that's in an emergency situation on the runway, would you rather have cabin crew that have practiced and practiced and practiced that scenario so that it just goes like clockwork? Or would you prefer the cabin crew that says, well, we didn't want to practice because it's not like real life, is it? Do you know what I mean? You know exactly which cabin crew you want to have in those circumstances. So for me, it's really, really important that practice just becomes part of the DNA and to, you know, take it from where we are now, which is where most people kind of do it, feel they have to do it, to being in a position where people want to do it and they really genuinely see the value and benefit from it. Mm. Marcus, isn't it funny how every time we run our internal programs for sales skills development and things and you build in a role play to it, Everyone rolls their eyes. Yeah. Everyone goes, oh, gosh, do we have to do that thing again? But when you get the feedback at the end of the program, the thing yeah. that comes out as the most valuable thing that they did is the role plays. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, you're right. Everyone rolls their eyes, but it, it is, it's, what, it's what takes it from being something that's um, on paper to something that's becoming part of you. And that only, as we know, with every discipline in life, only comes from practice. Mm. Yeah, and it, it, I think a big responsibility there from sales enablement or even managers and leaders is to provide two things, is to provide the kind of context, the kind of purpose around it, because I think sometimes that's why people feel like, oh, why do we have to do this, is even using examples like that is a great way to give people, like even if they're new into sales, that kind of like, you know, understanding of here's the value of it, because we'll always naturally ask, even when we're kids, why do we need to do that? And even and, But as adults, we don't often ask it out loud, but we're constantly thinking it. Um, yeah. And secondly, as well, with with having that kind of mindset towards role play, it's also if people are feeling a bit uncomfortable, it's, it might be down to the to the organizational leader or manager's way of, of running it yeah. and, and making sure it feels like a kind of safe environment to say the wrong thing. And you're not going to get critiqued or called out in front of everyone else and, and a kind of safe space to practice rather than kind of like critiqued or or come down on hard if, if you don't do it right. 
Well, absolutely. And one, one of the things that we've been trying recently, and I, I, I get Julio's take on this because I, I personally think it's gone really, really well, is back in the day, you used to do role plays. You would start at the beginning, you'd do their role play, they'd finish at the end, you'd kind of go around the room, give feedback, you'd give your own feedback, they'd give their own feedback. But by that point, actually, they've got so much feedback, it's just lost and confusing and they were nervous. So what we started to do now is to do more coaching role plays. So they'll start... And then you'll say, okay, let's just stop there for a second. Just think about what you said. What was the impact? How could you have changed that? And they'll go, well, oh, maybe I could have done it this way. Okay, so let's go back again and do it again and start from there. And now see what difference that makes. So we're actually coaching on the fly through the role play. And my goodness, what a difference it makes in terms of people's willingness to participate, but also in terms of what they actually get, because they're not having to go back and think, Oh yeah, did I say that half an hour ago? You know, was that yeah. you said I did that? Did I actually? Whatever, it's immediate. So, uh, Juliet, I mean, I don't because you've you've experienced this as well. You know, and Marcus, you always have the most incredible ideas, and they they always work out. I'm always <laughs> you do them, and they they work. You're, you're so right. You know, we used to do it exactly the way you described, and we were robbing people of the context, the ability to immediately make that change. And I think it's made a world of difference. You're 100 right. We're, we're quite excited because we're, we're thinking about how to scale that out. And so we are tinkering with a conversational intelligence tool, which helps us do that as well. So you can review calls from the field that have taken place and you can say, look at, you know, five minutes and 40 seconds in, I noticed that you kind of did this introduction or you used the statement. What do you think about that? And you can have a conversation around that piece. But what I love about what you're describing, Marcus, is it's in the moment. So when you're doing that role play, it's I give you the feedback now, try it again, practice yeah. it. And that's made a world of difference. Mm. I think a big thing that's really important there as well, you're encouraging that muscle for them to think about it during the call um, and think about on reflection of taking control if a call is maybe going where it shouldn't do, is rather than waiting for it to be over and then thinking, oh, I could have done all this, is hang on, let's take a moment, even though maybe my intro wasn't right, maybe I can or maybe I haven't asked enough questions with that kind of habit of reflecting in the moment, you can kind of adjust and pivot during a call versus waiting and then going, Oh, do you know what? I could have done this, this, and this. It's like, well, get used to thinking about it on the call and you can start making those adjustments. Absolutely. In a safe space, like you say, yeah, it's really important. Yeah. Exactly. So what's your take on, on, on that then, Julia? What's one thing that you'd, um, you talk about, Marcus talks about practicing, but what's your, what's your thing you'd like to add? Yeah, you know, for, for me, you know, it's, it's been quite a journey. I think we, over the last few years, as we've kind of gotten the discipline rolling, we, we thought that we would be the outsource for all of this, which I think a lot of um, companies do when it comes to their enablement approach. It's like, oh, yeah, onboarding, someone will take care of that. And I think what, what we need to keep doing and how we've evolved it over the last couple of years is our mission is to make the managers the enablers. And so that's the thing that we don't want to throw away. We have to keep on that. That's a long-term change, it's, especially with the old guard. Um, you know, the, the managers who, or, or reps have been around for a long time in our business struggle to make that leap. Whereas you have a brand new manager come in they, and they get indoctrinated at the beginning to say, it's your job to do the training. It's your job to do the coaching. They're more likely to adapt. So it's something that we, we still have a long way to go to really embedding the behavior, but it's something that we're keeping with because we fundamentally that's, believe that's the only way that we will scale in our business. Mm. It can't be down to an enablement team of nine people. 
it has to be the hundred managers across our business that really can make a difference in the in the reps world. Yeah, yeah. What's your take on that, Marcus? Yeah, absolutely. That kind of um, that kind of leads into my um, you know one of the questions is what am I going to stop doing? And actually, one of the things I'm going to stop doing is is what Julia calls sort of random acts of um, enablement. Um, and and it speaks to exactly what Julia was saying, right? So when I first started, and you probably understand this, Chris, as well. And um, when I first started, um, my job was literally just to plug holes um, in in knowledge gaps, right? And so mm. I have you know various different teams coming to me saying, oh, could you give me um, something? I need something on building credibility. So I'd go and put together a course on building credibility. And then someone else come to me and say, I need something around resilience or I need something around prospecting or I need something around closing or whatever. So, so literally I was, I was spending a lot of time on content for what was basically two or three people. And, um, and even then I was a little bit sketchier about as to whether it was actually going in and actually making a difference. But hey, box ticked, you know, we got Marcus to do something. The conversations, Julio was one. The conversations I had with Julio, number of times he kind of raised an eyebrow and going, "How, how are we making this scalable, Marcus?" And I was going, oh, "Well, I'm not entirely sure we are making it scalable, but I'm enjoying it. You know, I'm having fun. I'm in my element in the classroom. You know, um, it's the Marcus show." Um, and and Julio was kind of keeping me on the straight and narrow. So, so absolutely, um, I think he's right. You know, we need to we need to make sure that the managers are the enablers. Enablers. We're there to enable the managers. Ultimately, their job is to develop their people and to make sure their people are making their number and we're supporting the managers it's a lot more scalable and um a lot more thoughtful in our uh, in our approach so um um yeah so it kind of links in so julio's um you know carry on doing is that and my stop doing is stop doing the random acts of enablement and just be a lot more methodical um about what it is that we're delivering and and how we deliver yeah yeah i can relate to that actually from a sort of uh, parallel perspective around like mental health and for example I speak to a lot of people I'm mental health first aid trained and I've I speak to a lot of other people who are and they get the kind of question sometimes of can you can you go and speak to this person like they're having a bit of a difficult time they kind of feel like oh you're the you're the first aid box itself so you need to go and do all these things that and it's like no 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 I'm, I'm here to to help empower you I'm here to support you and and educate you to be able to eventually do this yeah. because if you if you point people towards me all the time you're not building up that kind of like relationship with them, first of all, and that credibility and that trust and that understanding. Um, and the idea is, I suppose, of effective managers and leaders is not only to be able to just spot like challenges or be proactive in them, but also be able to be proactive in, in solving them. Because I think it builds your own credibility of your team to realize this person isn't just someone who answers questions, but they also can enable me and support me mm. um, around that. I think it takes a, a strong sales enablement team to be able to realize that as well and to realize that we don't need to justify ourselves by always being the ones to deliver these things but we we can justify ourselves by being the ones to empower other people to do that Uh, absolutely right you you know chris i think the the hardest part on on what you just described is our ability to say no yes exactly it's it's really hard to do because you Firstly, we, we've got an innate problem in that the type of person who goes into enablement is just wonderful. They are truly not in it for themselves. They're in it to help others. So it's in our nature to say, oh, you need product training. Of course, we'll help with that. We know nothing about the product, but we'll go and find people orchestrated. We'll book it in the calendar. We'll invite people, we'll send out recordings and links and build sales players. 
that's a huge amount of work for exactly what Marcus, you were describing, right? Little, little scalability and little gain. You have no idea if it makes an impact on anybody to run a training session. So you've got that pressure where you have to fight against yourself in a way. Um, and then you've got the other pressure, which is, well, what are the managers going to think of me or what is the business going to think of our function if we say no? Um, it becomes very hard to then justify it's like, well, then what does enablement do? If you're not going to do product training, then what do you do? It's, well, no, we do, we do a lot more than that. That's not our function to do product training. That, that goes to somebody else. So I think th those are the bits that we've really started to come to terms with only now. It's taken a, a few years of Ooh. schooling ourselves um, and also educating our business partners on what it is that we actually do. Um, Nick Saunders, who runs our team, brought in our enablement charter. Um, Marcus and, and is going to smile at this one because we've been, we've been talking about the charter. We've been changing the charter so many times. We've updated it. But having that guiding light has made a huge difference to us to, to give us the confidence to go back to a manager and say, hold on a second. Onboarding is your job. It's not our job. Now, we'll support you in it and we'll make sure you've got everything you need. But you've got to do a role play with your new hire in the first 30 days. It's not something that you just give over to enablement to do. So saying no, wow, that, that's been a hard lesson to learn. <laughs> yeah. I'm still not sure yeah. I've learned it, to be honest, Julia. I still, <laughs> I still get people coming to me saying, could, could you just do a bit of, um, you know, do a deal review with so-and-so? And I'm like, oh, go on then. But actually, I shouldn't be saying this with Julia on the call because, you know, when I have one-to-ones with him, I tell him I don't do that anymore. But, um, yeah, <laughs> I, st <laughs> I still, I still. Marcus. What? <laughs> I suppose with that, isn't it? It's just working out. It's it's kind of handling, you know, we talk about it with reps sometimes, like handling conflict or difficult conversations is being able to say no without it feeling like no and giving them and enabling them at the same time to feel like, you know, you're empowering them and not just saying no and they're walking away thinking you can't be bothered or you're giving all this responsibility that you know how much yeah. stuff I've got going on already is, is kind of like investing that time in a different way initially up front um, around it. But that's an interesting one from a from a stop perspective and how it's kind of aligned to continue. So from your perspective, uh, Julia, what would your be sort of stop or um, throw away? Uh, I'm, I'm going to steal a, a term from uh, one of our business partners. We work with a, a company called Growth Matters on our um, manager development um, program. But he says, well, what's really interesting is we keep shooting all over the place. Um, and what we mean by that is we say the manager should do this. The manager should do the other thing. The manager should be inspecting pipeline. The manager should be forecasting the manner and so on and so forth. So I think one of the things that we need to stop doing is saying the rep or the manager should. We all should do stuff, but that's not productive, not helpful to anybody to say, here's your laundry list of the things that you should be doing. So that's definitely something that I think we need to stop and we should rather be thinking about, well, I use the word uh, should, we should be thinking about, did you notice that? I'm not very <laughs> conscious of saying the word should, but the, the approach that we should have is perhaps something around what is it that we are, are trying to get to? Let's focus on that outcome and then we can figure out the steps to get there rather than you know, I expect you to use the CRM and you should be entering your forecast. That, that, that doesn't help. We should rather say, you know, if the business can't provision services for your customers or we can't uh, scale the team to better support your customers, 
uh, and use the customer as sort of the focal point, I think makes a difference. Mm. Yeah. What's your, what's your take on that, Marcus? Oh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a common approach that I do when I'm sales coaching. And you'll be aware of this, Chris, for yourself when you're doing sales coaching, which is, you know, people say to me all the time, I should do this, should do that. And I'm guilty of that myself, you know, I mean, I, I should lose weight. I should go running, whatever. Um, but it's a case of, well, what are you actually going to do? What, what, don't tell me what you should be doing. Tell me what you are going to do and actually nail people down to a plan um, and, uh, and a commitment for what it is that they are going to do. Because we can all, like Julia says, we can all sit around shoulding all the time. I've got to be so careful how I say that. We could all sit around the shooting um, all the time. And um, and it's just part of s- swapping from a kind of should-do mindset to a positive mindset, which is what am I going to do rather than what should I do? Um, so, yeah, definitely. I'm completely with him on that, 100%. I'm going to stop mm. shooting myself. <laughs> I think it's such an important point. And, and to, to add some other context around it, you talk about saying it to each other, but I think your self-talk, as, as you mentioned there, Mark, is so important. And also just from our own expectations, like, you know, for example, with lockdown, we're, we're thinking, oh, I should be more productive or yeah. I should have learned a new language by now. I should have got fit. I should have painted. Yeah. And I think it's just our, our self-talk and our language is so important. When you tell yourself something I should or I have to, it feels like a chore and we hate demands. Like, um, you know, my, my girlfriend's son, he's on the spectrum and he's got something called PDA, which is pathological demand avoidance. So he struggles with any demands at all. So it's great practice for being a coach because you can't give them demands. You have to ask them questions, which is great practice for me. But it, it sort of makes me think about what we tell ourselves. And, you know, even the simplest of things of saying, I have to do this, I should do that at the weekend for your own personal life can put a lot of unneeded pressure. So I sort of say to people, rather than saying that is say to yourself, I get to, or I want to, like, mm-hmm. I want to do this. I didn't have to, I want to. And it kind of just makes you feel like more, a bit more inspired to, to undertake that task because you're not putting pressure on it. And I get to is more of that kind of gratitude mindset with some of these things is I get to be able to do this. Like, this is enjoyable. Like, this is fun. I get to be able to um, speak to different people each day. I get to be able to be creative in my role and create video prospecting, for example. And it just kind of shifts that, that mindset. I think, I, th- I think it's such a good point around um, getting rid of should. <laughs> I'm going to be very well, mindful of myself. <laughs> we're all going to be aware of that now. <laughs> well, my, my own personal coach gave me a tip the other day and it was about doubling up things that you feel that you should do with things that you do actually want to do and you mentioned learning a language there so I, I'm actually trying to learn German at the moment because my, my wife is Swiss we've been together a long time it's about time I learned I learned German right um, and and as I said earlier you know I should be going out running doing my couch to 5k it's kind of fallen by the wayside over um, over Christmas so she said well double up the thing you should you should be doing is running the thing you want to do is learn German so why don't you listen to a German podcast or you know um, you know do something so you're learning the German the thing you want to do with the thing you feel you should be doing and Mm. double those up together and that I thought that was absolutely genius actually so um, I just thought just as a general take on life doubling those things up the shoulds with the wants to um, and then you kill two birds with one stone yeah there's a great book uh, linked to that, Atomic Habits by James Clear. Um, I'm writing that down now. As we yeah, speak. have a read. But it's called, it's similar to something called habit stacking. So it's uh, stacking That's like exactly rituals, yeah. Un- unconscious rituals on top of habits. So yeah. for example, for me, I wanted to get into reading more last year. So I was like, every time I go to the kitchen and get a drink or put the kettle on, I'm going to pick up a book and, and read it. And I might only do a bit at a time. And then I was like, I'll read a page a day just to get used to that kind of habit of, 
you know, we get so focused on the outcome initially when we're trying to do something rather than the habit itself, which is why we feel amazing, first of all, but then the motivation dies and we're like, we haven't built any foundations around it. Um, so, yeah, definitely have a read of, of James Clear, uh, Atomic Habits, okay. a great book. It's going on my list as we speak. Good, good. So if we move on to things to uh, introduce, I'll go first with you, Julia, this time. What's your thing that you'd encourage uh, people to try this year or, or something that you've tried recently as well? So I'm, I'm really passionate about uh, data-driven decisions. And I think what we need to try and do better is be adopters of technology. And perhaps it's even a little bit more broader than that. It comes to this whole change management cycle. You know, when you, when you think about a new idea that you broach with somebody, they're going to be pretty resistant and, and not want to do it. But you talk about it several times, start to, to outline benefits. They start to dab a little bit in it, and then they see what the benefits are. And now they're over the hump of that change management cycle. Now they're really gung-ho, and they're into it, and, and they start doing things. So I think we all need to be greater technology in this day and age. There's an app for that. I think we all need to um, make room for it. Um, as, as much as we hate being on Zooms 24-7, which is what it feels like at the moment, you kind of need to pick and choose and say, what do I really want to get out of things? And what tools can I use to maximize that goal? So I think, you know, at, at, we're at the beginning of the year. A lot of people do goal setting at the beginning of the year and they say, what do I want to achieve this year? And I think that's a, a big and difficult thing to do. You might want to set shorter goals. I, I love the examples you used earlier about reading a book. I'm going to start just by reading a page a day. Let, let's see how that goes. I think it's the same thing when it comes to, I want to be successful in my job. That's great. Break it down into smaller tasks and say, well, just this week, I'm going to use a tool that will help me make more phone calls. I'm going to find a, a database or a new list of outreach calls, as an example. Or um, I'm going to have someone join a call and give me feedback on, on how I do things so that I can improve that. So we can use a technology stopgap to help us with that piece. But I think getting insights from systems helps me personally just to see that I've made progress and celebrate that. So I th think there's an enormous benefit. I mean, I, I think most people now have a fitness tracker strapped onto their wrist. Doesn't it feel so good when your fitness tracker says, congratulations, you've closed your circles, you've hit your step goal, you've you know got your heart rate up or whatever. It gives you a sense of accomplishment. So I think embrace technology, embrace change embrace doing things a little different, especially when you're in lockdown inside the same four walls. Man, you, you need something different and to celebrate your successes. So that, that's kind of what I would go with if you me. Mm, yeah, such a good point. What, what, what would you add to that, Marcus? Well, I think um, that I've, I've always been uh, probably more technology resistant than Julio. Um, but I've worked out what I need, right? And this is, comes from working with, with Julio. Because I've always struggled with data and spreadsheets. I don't understand spreadsheets. I don't understand data, right? Um, but I love the insight. I love taking the insight and working out what I'm going to do with that insight and turning it into an action plan that's actually going to be um, uh, impactful for our salespeople. And and so where Julia and I work together so well is that um, Julio's got the, you know, brings me the, the spreadsheets and stuff. And I'm scratching my head going, I don't know what this means. And he's kind of putting it together in a way that's going to be um, useful for me. I always say, right, sales is an art and a science. 
And I hope Julie doesn't mind me saying, I think Julie is the science part and I'm kind of the art part. And together it just works so well. So he's absolutely right. Personally, I struggle with it. But what, one of my old adages is, you know, surround yourself with people that make up for your own shortfallings. And, you know, I think that's why Julie and I work so well together is he has that analytical brain. He'll look at the technology. He'll look at the um at the uh, the spreadsheets and he'll put it together in a format that's going to be useful for me and then I can kind of take that and run with it and make it effective for a, for a sales team mm. and you yeah. do that so well it's oh, the conversation <laughs> well I mean uh, you know, honestly I'm I'm a, my personality type is I sit down with a sales leader I'm like darn you you should have done your training you should get your people you know watching those videos you the, your people failed the certification you you know that's completely the wrong approach Whereas, you know, we, I can sit down with Marcus and I can say, you know, what's interesting, we looked at the, the LinkedIn Sales Navigator report as an example. And out of the group of individuals you've been working with recently, what we've noticed is they don't do a lot of in-mails. They're not using the tool to do a lot of outreach. Let's overlay, overlay that with pipeline reports that we get out of the CRM. And we can see that they're a little bit light on pipeline. Marcus then uses that insight and he goes, okay, that's really interesting talks it over with the manager and maybe they decide well the goal then is to build more pipeline why don't we use either ourselves and you know marcus is amazing at building programs or other people in the team i, I love what you said about surrounding yourself with people because it is about collaboration is it no, no one knows everything so let's find someone who maybe is a subject matter expert in that or let's find a program that people can go through but we measure the result of it so we can celebrate the success so i think you're so right. Dream team, Marcus. You do the, the communication and the delivery and people just buy into what you say. And I can surface up where the gaps might be. Otherwise, where do you start? It's so hard. Yeah. It's just anecdotal, isn't it? Just go, Absolutely. Hmm, I think Jane and John need help, but I'm not really sure what to do, you know? So just getting some insights sometimes helps shape that way forward. Yeah. Yeah. Because otherwise, like you say, it might be the, you're seeing some people might be like, Oh, I see you're not sending enough emails, and that's all they'll tell the rep is you're not sending enough emails, you're not making enough calls. And it's like, well, what why does that matter? Like, what, what's the reason behind that? What's the data? Like, why what's the shortcoming? What by sending more calls or sending more emails, what can I actually do? Um, and to your point, I think it's so true, like surrounding yourself with the right kind of people and em embracing change and recognizing as a, a manager, a leader in sales enablement that where you aren't strong and where you can develop and and being honest about it rather than trying to when I have this impression, which can obviously create things like imposter syndrome or some other things sometimes of thinking I need to be everything to everyone. And if I'm not, maybe they'll think I'm not good enough or maybe they'll think I'm, and that's what managers can struggle with a lot of the time, which is where this uh, over support comes from, or I'll do this, I'll do that for you is like, they don't want to be seen to, to not know. But the other thing as well, which I like about that data driven is don't just look at the data, like question, but always be willing to question it. Cause you see so many stats, don't you? Like, for example, like, uh, you know, it takes eight or eight to 10 attempts to get hold of someone on the phone, like cold call attempts, rather than just going, right, there's, there's the numbers. It's going, well, what's happening within those eight to 10 attempts? What are some of the things, the marginal gains that we can improve? Um, and not just taking data for face value, thinking how can we influence that, but also still utilize it at the same time. I completely agree. It's got to be in context of other data points as well. We, we did a fascinating um sort of exercise fairly recently where we said, wow, BDRs, COVID world, gosh, outreach has really, really suffered as a result, understandably. 
And as we started to get into the, the tools and how they were using them, what we found is some reps are super successful, regardless of all the conditions, and they weren't using some of the tools. They weren't using whether it was LinkedIn or whether it was uh, outbound telephony. Like some reps do amazingly well with them in, in mails. That's just their nature and their book meetings. Others do brilliantly with outreach and telephone calls. So we shouldn't berate them and hit them over the mm. head and say, darn you for not doing phone calls or darn you for not using in-mails. And I think, you know, Marcus's great balance is to say, well, hold on a second. I understand these people. I've worked with them and their managers. We know that there's a balance here. We're not awfully worried if they are succeeding and they're, they're hitting the goals. Let's focus on the people who are, you know, the 60 to 80 percent, uh, um, you know, attainment level. How do we get them to 80 or 100? How do we push those people forward? And we use all the different data points across all the different systems to say, oh, that's where a gap might be. Let's focus on that and see if that has an impact on, on the results. So that, I, I fully agree with what you're saying. It's not just that one thing and you say, go, go and increase your, your emails. That, that doesn't make any difference to anybody, I don't think. Yeah, yeah I think it's that you're using the data to, to build the picture but the data isn't the picture, it, uh, basically, yeah. Yep. Mm. To your point as well, Julia, I, I love that point around like recognizing in your team and uh, reps that not everyone has to be great at everything because it's sometimes, you know, it's, I was doing some work with the outreach team um, the other week and they call like, there's one person in the team they call the sniper who's like in their inside sales team who's really good with emails, who's like really good at personalization. So she, she, like her cadence isn't built with like loads of cool expectations in her KPIs yeah, they know it's more around emails. So they won't like when they're, when they're looking at it in one-to-ones, they won't be like, Oh, you're making less calls than someone else is because, well, that's not where your strength lies. And I think, you know, because of how technologies evolve, there are different ways. And it's not saying you should never call anyone. If you're great at emails, you should still do that. Um, but it's recognizing that. And I think the more you can do that with your team, the more they can, the more you can empathize with them, the more they can, understand as well that you know if you find something you're really good at drill down on that get even better and you can still work on the other things but it just helps them become clearer on what they're great at not just like i do a bit of everything is do you know what? i'm really good at calls so that's what i can focus on but what's the thing maybe i need to develop how can i start upskilling that versus i need to work on everything yeah makes agreed. yeah great well marcus and julia thank you so much for, for coming on today it's uh Time has flown and it's been a, a real pleasure speaking to you both. Yeah, likewise. I enjoyed every minute of it. So um, Yeah, thanks, Chris. Great experience. You're welcome. Thanks for that. You're welcome. For um for people who are tuning in and, and, and hear about this the first time, where's the best place uh for them to go to find out more about what you guys do, the business you work at, and also if they want to connect with you as well. Uh Julia, let's start with you. Yeah, so I think LinkedIn is is always, you know, the professional network uh social media option. Uh, other than that, we, we're always happy, uh, perhaps people contact you, Chris, if we want to get in touch directly um, outside of LinkedIn, we, we're always interested in, in doing that. Um, just general advice, if you're an enablement person, um, look up your local sales enablement society chapter, um, great networking ability there with blog posts and all sorts of things. That, that would be my recommendation. Great. Yeah, if you want to get a hold of me, then yeah, absolutely. LinkedIn is the right place to do it. But I've got a little niggle. 
right? If you're going to link with me on LinkedIn, just just put a little message in and say who you are and why you want to link with me because I've got like, so many people just randomly want to link with me. I have no idea who they are and I, I do tend to just ignore them unless they've taken the time to say why we should connect. In which case, absolutely, we're going to connect. So um, LinkedIn all the way. Um, I don't. I, I, otherwise, I don't do an awful lot of um, social media. So grab me through LinkedIn and I'll say, yeah, through you, Chris. And um, very happy. Let's get connected. Let's do it. Yeah. Great. And on that, actually, a good point. Definitely send messages. I see some people saying, don't send messages when you send LinkedIn. And I'm like, why? Like, um, But an, an added bonus, which I always do, is send a voice note once you've connected with someone on LinkedIn. Um, you know, it takes 10, 15 seconds. Don't go into a pitch. Never do that. Um, right. But it adds that personalization because regardless of how personal a message can feel sometimes, people will always think in the back of their mind, is this automated? Whereas a voice note cuts through that noise, they get a bit of personality in there and you they, they start hearing you and first of all you're kind of standing out from the crowd so yeah. I always recommend that from a, when you're prospecting as well that's definitely I'm, I'm going to steal that one absolutely do it. <laughs> <laughs> do it great well Julio and Marcus thank you again for coming on thank you listeners thanks for tuning in I will catch you again very soon hey people thanks for tuning in if you want more of this content then head over to our website salespsyche.co.uk psyche is p-s-y-c-h-e and sign up for our self-talk newsletter. Plus, we also run another podcast, Master Brilliance and Resilience. And you can also find me on LinkedIn. Always happy to chat. But for now, stay mindful. Catch you soon.